Well, it's great to be here today and to get to share with you. We're going to take a little bit of a, a deep dive into some spiritual stuff this morning. I mean, we always talk about spiritual stuff, but um, you know, one of our one of our key statements is that we want to say things on Sunday that will help people on Monday. So we we tend to preach quite practically and. Certainly today uh, is going to help you on Monday, but it's going to be a little more spiritual maybe than uh, what we've been doing a little bit lately. So let me jump into the scripture this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, and then we will go for it. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let me share something that happened to me a number of years ago, and I'm sure I have shared this story before, so if you've heard this, I apologize in advance. But uh, when we were pastoring in Dunedin, we had a situation once where a guy came to church, He'd, he'd never really been before, he heard me preach a message, took exception at a particular statement I made in that message, and for about a year and a half, went on a sustained crusade against me. Um, I spent probably the first three or four months trying to meet with this guy, take the low road, apologize if my comments had had caused any concern or offense in him, try just to sort it and clarify it. Um, But over time, it became clear that he was not wanting to reconcile, he wanted to see me out of the church. And so um, things escalated over that period of time. Um, It started off with me getting 20 to 30 texts from him a day, um, saying what a heretic I was, etc. He uh, would stand around after service, started to come to church regularly, stand around at the back after services and talk to congregation members about how I was preaching heresy and they really should leave church. Um, After a while, he got the email addresses of our staff and started emailing my staff about what the heck were they doing staying in a church with someone like me at the pulpit. He finally got hold of uh, Liz's email, my wife's email, and sent her an email suggesting that I was having sex outside of marriage with other people around the place, which, of course, was complete rubbish. Uh, He then started visiting other ministers in the city I had a relationship with, encouraging them to make a stand against me and finally contacted our national leadership team complaining about my theology. Um, it came to a head for me personally uh, when I was, we were actually on a missions trip. We were in the Philippines. We were on uh, quite an isolated island where there was no medical facilities and we'd taken a couple of doctors and some nurses from our church. We are doing a medical mission there and... It must have been about five o'clock, I think, late afternoon. We were having a bit of a team debrief after a big day, and I got a text. And a text came through from this guy, and it read, I hear you are out of the country. Who's looking out for your wife and children? Which was, needless to say, quite frightening and quite disturbing. It really felt like a battle was going on. And here's the interesting thing, right? Uh, Most people I have talked to, Christian and non-Christian, have had some sort of spiritual experience that they don't know how to explain. And these spiritual experiences can be bad or they can be good, but they are extraordinarily common, far more common than you would realize. 
might be an evil presence in the, in the night, maybe a disturbing uh, dark nightmare, strange things that happen around the house that they can't explain, or it could be something really positive, a, a healing, a miracle, uh, extraordinary provision that came out of the blue from somewhere. It happens all the time. And, and the thing is that the Bible makes it clear that there is an unseen aspect to this world that we are in. And this unseen aspect has rulers and authorities and levels of power, spiritual forces of evil, just as there are similar levels within the forces of good. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Divine power to demolish strongholds. You see, this, this world we are in is both physical and and, and spiritual, natural and spiritual. And Paul says in a couple of different places that there's a battle going on. There's a war going on, and there's an enemy who takes territory by establishing spiritual strongholds that affect the natural world. Now, let me explain. Uh, an army these days uh, in another country, what it does is it goes into a country and then it establishes strongholds, places that it can defend in places so that it can then control the people. In, in the spiritual, it's kind of flipped around. Uh, in, the, in the spiritual, what the demonic does, it goes in and establishes strongholds in people so that through them it can control a place or a city. And, and these strongholds in a person's life give the demonic realm uh, a foothold into a life uh, or into a community, or into a society. And, and of course, this influence, I, I guess it's kind of on a continuum really, isn't it? Right from, from very, very low-end, low-level kind of hassling and, and, and negative thoughts and maybe nightmares, so, so low-end stuff, all the way through to kind of high-end stuff. We see examples of this in the Scriptures, and if you stick around long enough, you'll see it in life, where the demonic is given increasing access to a person's inner world, to the place where we see what is popularly described as possession, where a demonic spirit takes over a person's mind and actions for short periods of time in which it can do a whole range of things. So, so this is what the spiritual forces of evil are doing. And Paul says that this war we are in is to demolish, like destroy, demolish, completely wreck these strongholds that the devil builds in people's lives. And, and so these strongholds, therefore, are spiritual, right, or mental in nature. They're in our heart and mind. They give the devil access to our heart and mind, to our thoughts and feelings, and therefore to our decisions and behaviors. And this demolishing of strongholds, uh, which Paul talks about, must happen in us uh, and in those around about us, through us as we go forward. And so Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this. So he says, take your stand. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. And this is a very important perspective. We need to realize that the concept of spiritual warfare, spiritual battle, certainly within Paul write, Paul's writings, are primarily around this idea of taking your stand. It's not about kind of charging out there and trying to find, you know, demonic things 
No, no, no. Paul's picture is this, is that when the enemy comes in, no, we take a stand. And, and it's interesting, Paul's instruction on this, um, this idea of taking a stand, we see this represented in the Old Testament in numerous places. Let me give you one example. 2 Samuel 23, 11. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them, but Shammah, here it is, took his stand. He took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. See, when it comes to spiritual warfare, Paul describes it as taking a stand, holding our ground on the occasion when enemy attack comes, refusing to allow the enemy to come in and establish a stronghold in you or where you are. When we as Christians take a stand, when the enemy comes in, when we defend where we are and send him packing, God gets a great victory. So let me dig into Paul's comments a little bit more. And the next bit that he says here is very, very important, and I want us to get this. He says in verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He's saying our battle is not against people. Why is he saying that? Because very often it feels like it is. Because very often spiritual attacks can come through people who are largely ignorant, perhaps of how they're being utilized or manipulated, but very often that can happen. You know, when you're up against someone and it's just a battle, maybe it's not just natural. Maybe there's a spiritual intent behind it, like what I experienced with this guy. You know, this guy, quite some time later, after the whole episode with me had finished, uh, he ended up getting a job, I'll talk a little bit more about later, but uh, with a Christian guy, and he actually ended up confessing to this guy that for years he had been hearing voices in his head having demonic personalities telling him to do the things that he did, driving him towards those ends. See, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, though that's often how we experience it. So let me say, if you've got a battle on your hands, if it's important to remember it's not necessarily always about people. Your battle is against the powers and the principalities of the dark world that are behind it all. Now, we need to remember this. However, it doesn't mean that every issue or problem you have with a person is a spiritual battle, okay? Sometimes they are simply personality clashes. Sometimes in a work situation, it might be a performance issue or expectation issues. Sometimes it can, it can even be just that we're dumb. Sometimes we can be immature. We can be stupid. I think of some of my uh, clashes with some of my managers when I was working in retail over the years. I was just young and stupid. I had no idea. I was doing dumb things. I needed to be told off. There was nothing demonic behind that. You know what I'm saying? So let's keep this real. Remember that not every clash you're going to have with someone is demonic an issue. But sometimes there are spiritual battles behind those things. Like what I experienced with this guy. We live in a physical world and yet there is a spiritual unseen part of it that is just as real and flows in and affects what goes on on this side. You know, when I received that text uh, in that we were staying in this pastor's house in, in a very rural area on this island of the Philippines, I immediately excused myself 
uh, from the debrief and went out and went into this other room and um, I'll be honest, I cried. I was, I was freaked out by this. And I, and I was so far away from any way of getting back to help. This was utterly beyond me. And so I went straight to prayer. And I spent time just charging around that room in prayer, coming against this, asking God to intervene, the whole thing. Finally, when I got back to a place of peace, the next thing I did was obviously went back to the team, told them, they started praying, and then I rang Liz. Now, this was interesting. Because at the same time that I was praying, and I rang Liz just a few moments later, uh, you know, it was about 5 o'clock over there in Philippines, so it was about 10 o'clock here in New Zealand. When I spoke to Liz, it was a stormy, rainy night, and she said the dog had just been at the front door growling and barking at something that was outside. Our dog never did that. Never did that before that, never did that after that. Really freaked Liz out. And then I called... And I say what's happened. So then I rang a friend of mine who um, very kindly and graciously drove over to our property in the rain and the dark with a big torch and a big stick and checked the property. <clears throat> and he found no one. But dogs don't bark at doors for no reasons. In this spiritual battle, we don't fight with the weapons of this world, Paul states. We don't fight with, with guns and bullets and or even physical fighting, we don't, we don't engage with political maneuvering even. Instead, we engage in this battle with things that we don't naturally think of as weapons. This is really important. Things like prayer, things like faith, things like the authority of the scriptures, of God's word. I'll unpack those a little bit more later. But what Paul does in this passage so helpfully is he gives us this picture, this visualization uh, of what the armor of God looks like so that we can understand what it is. And we can understand that it is both a defensive, protecting ourselves so we don't become a casualty, and also offensive, using these spiritual weapons that God has given us that have, here is again, divine power to demolish strongholds. So I want to talk a bit about what this means and how do we engage in this battle. See, Paul says in verse 11, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the armor of God. Okay, so what's this whole thing about armor, the armor of God? Well, we need to ask this question, how is armor designed? What's it designed for? And the metaphor works just as well whether we're looking at what what Paul is envisioning, which is, of course, Roman centurions, the most um, powerful fighting force, well-trained, well-armored army of the day, or whether we look at something like a similar equivalent today, whether that be um, someone in the army or um, someone in a riot squad um, or you know, police in combat uniform, it, it, it has the same things, right? That's the interesting thing. Armor is designed to protect the areas that the enemy will target to take you out. That's a helmet. That's a breastplate if you're a Roman soldier, or it's a bulletproof vest if you are uh, in, the, in, a, in the forces today. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to more recent terminology so it's a bit more relevant to us as we go forward. So you need to have those things. Protect the head. Protect the heart. You can take bullet wounds lots of other places and it's not fatal, but you take one to your head or to your heart and, and, and shows over. It's also designed, armor's also designed, body armor's also designed, so you can carry with you everything you need to be independent in the battle. So you can keep moving. 
so you can stay in constant contact with your commanding officer or with headquarters, and also so that you can carry the weapons that you need to engage with the enemy. And here's the thing, right? When we are equipped, we have little to fear. You know, it, it's, if you see any, any movie about you know, war movie or anything about SWAT, um, squads, or those sort of things, you watch these guys, they get all kitted up, they've got the helmets on, the goggles, they've got the bulletproof vest on, they've got the, the belt with all the gear, gear and they've got the boots and they've got all that stuff. And then they go charging into situations that we would definitely not go charging into. How is that? Is it just a matter of courage? No, it's also a matter of the fact that they know that they are well equipped to be able to handle the situations that come. Many years ago in Dunedin, we had a guy in our church who was a police officer, a lovely, lovely guy. And him, he was part of a team that traveled around training police officers in unarmed combat physical combat. And I remember one day uh, I was talking to him and I was saying, hey bro, we'd love to get you up and do communion sometime. You're a really, really lovely guy. He says, there was no way I'm getting up on that stage. He says, I would much rather kick down a door, go into a house, take an axe off a guy who's threatening to kill his wife. I'd rather do that any day than get up on stage. And I said, that's a really specific example. He goes, oh, look, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. He said, oh, Friday night, that's exactly what I had to do. I got to this domestic um, violence job first. There was no one else coming. The guy, big, big guy was in there with an axe. He was going to kill his wife. So I just booted the door down, went in, took the axe off this guy, put him down on the ground. And I'm just, my mind is being blown by this, right? There was no way I'm going into anyone's house if they've got an axe trying to kill anybody. That's just, you know. But, but part of it was he has all the gear. He can go into that because he is equipped. And because he's equipped, he's confident. Can I say that when we are equipped with the spiritual corollaries of that, when we are equipped, we can live with confidence. We can engage with the enemy with confidence that we have what it takes to overcome. Amen? So Paul is saying, Christians, you need to be equipped to stand against an enemy who from time to time will come and want to take ground through establishing strongholds and so Paul gives us this very helpful visual of a soldier in combat armor so we can get it, understand it, and apply it. Remember what the goal is. The goal is to stand your ground, to not let the enemy establish a stronghold here. Now, this is very important. So the armor of God is a set of truths. Okay? It's a set of truths. We've got to realize that, that it's not actually armor, but it functions like armor. And I'm going to unpack this for you in just a moment. And, and if we aim to prevail in this battle that sometimes the Christian life is over a lifetime, we need to understand the full truth of God. We need to live it. It needs to apply to us in a consistent way. And so Paul cleverly helps us to remember this by giving us this picture. It's both a visual reminder and a checklist. Like sometimes when, if we need to kind of zone out of, for a while, we'll, we might jump on Netflix and watch SWAT. Anyone else watch SWAT? Anyone else willing to, to confess? Okay, thank you, Rohan. Appreciate that. So, so SWAT, okay? Now, it's interesting. When you watch the guys on SWAT before they go out on the job, what do they do? They put the kit on and they check each other. Make sure they all have the gear. Can I say as Christians, we need to be able to check ourselves. We need to make sure that we've got the gear. And Paul very helpfully helps us do that with this checklist. Let me read this to you from Ephesians 6. He says, Stand firm then, there it is again, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate, or the bulletproof vest, of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
Um, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Like it's a checklist. Like that soldier checks his gear before he goes into battle. So let me just go through these seven things. And yes, there are going to be some actions, just a little bit, because actions help us by remembering things, and it's going to be not embarrassing, or maybe just a little bit embarrassing, but it's okay. It's going to help you remember these things. So ready? Here we go. So these are, these are the seven things on our checklist. Put your hand on your belly. So first, it's the belt, all right? It's the belt, and I'm going to explain what the belt is in a moment. So it's three Bs. It's the belt, hand on your, on your heart, it's the bulletproof vest, and then point to the floor, and it's the boots, Okay? It's the belt, the bulletproof vest, and the boots. That's the first three. Then the, then the second three. Then it's the shield. So a, a riot shield that you hold in your non-dominant hand. It's the shield, and then it's the helmet, and then it's the sword. It's the gun. It's the weapon. It's the whatever that weapon is in your dominant hand. And then lastly, number seven. It's, we're getting into it down there. That's good. And then it's, uh, it's communications, because that's what prayer is, right? Prayer is communication. It's, it's like having the radio. You know, the guys have the radio. It's like that's communications. So let's go through these one by one, and, and hopefully we'll get a greater understanding of what these things mean and how we apply them in our lives. Number one, Paul says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Truth. Okay, it's not a belt, but it functions like one. It's a picture to help us understand its importance. A soldier carries a webbing belt, that carries on it everything he needs, extra ammo clips, it's got a, a medical kit in there, it's got all sorts of things that he may, may possibly need, and it holds everything together, and it means that he doesn't have to carry his weapon, he can just clip his weapon on, everything hangs off that belt. Can I say to you, Jesus is the truth. Remember, remember this is the belt of truth, Jesus is the truth, Jesus it says in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, it's so important to realize that. Jesus is what this is talking about. Everything hangs off Jesus, and we've got to remember that. Jesus is true. His word is true. His promises are true. His goodness and love for you are true. Everything hangs off him. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is head over every power and authority. You know, there are certain religious groups out there that try and distance the concept of truth from Jesus. They try and shift truth so that truth is not about Jesus. Truth is actually based on the Ten Commandments. That's what the expression of truth is. Or, or even they'll try and shift it by saying, well, truth is the, is the Word of God, of course, forgetting that Jesus is the Word of God. But they'll try and do that. We must never let that happen. And that's part of what Paul's message was, if you remember, in our series on Colossians, that Christ is everything. Jesus is all sufficient, and we should be found in him. The belt of truth is remembering the truth that Jesus is central and everything hangs off him. Have you got that? Because, you see, the devil is the father of lies. The Bible says that actually he's the author of lies. It's when the devil lies, he's speaking his native tongue. If he can deceive you, if he can get you to doubt the truth. If he can get you to think that you are in trouble, then you will be in trouble. We've got to keep that understanding of truth as close as a belt buckled around our waist and never take it off. It holds everything together, and that is Jesus, okay? Good. The second thing Paul talks about is, is the breastplate or the bulletproof vest of righteousness. We've got to keep that in place. See, righteousness is not a bulletproof vest, 
but it functions like one. It protects your heart. Here's what we've got to remember. You are righteous not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done. In the same way that you, if you're in a combat police unit, you get given a bulletproof vest, Jesus gave you your righteousness. You did not earn it. You don't have it for any other reason. It was given to you. And what it means is, it means that you are righteous because of the blood of Jesus, which means you are right with God. You are right with God through nothing you have done. You are right with God on your good days and right with God on your bad days because of what Jesus has done. You are right with God when you have failed, fallen down, and sinned just as much as you are when you're living your best life because we are righteous through faith in Christ. He did that for us. He gave it to us. And we've got to remember that all the time. See, nothing wounds us more than being out of relationship with God, being out of relationship with people. That gets to the very heart of what it is to be a human being. It can deeply hurt and wound us. You know, Proverbs says, we've got to guard our heart, listen to this, above all else, above all else. And God has learned that is righteousness, that understanding that I am right with God, no matter how good or bad my day is or how well I'm performing or not performing, I'm right with God because it's not about my performance. It's about what Jesus has done. When you feel miles away from God, when you've sinned or messed up or hurt someone else even, you must never forget that you are still righteous. Not in arrogance, not in humility. You were made right by God. But if we forget that we're right with God, we open ourselves up to self-doubt, to self-loathing, to pain, hurt, anger, destruction on the inside. If the devil can get to your heart, if he can convince you that you're not right with God, he can take you out of the battle. The bulletproof vest of righteousness. Thirdly, here we go. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What keeps uh, uh, someone in the army, a soldier, what keeps him ready to go into battle? It's those boots on his feet. You know, they say in the army that the most important part of your body to look after is your feet. If you can't walk, you can't march. If you can't walk, you can't run into battle. You can't do any of those things. And Paul equates this, what's on our feet, with the gospel of peace. You know, the gospel is not a pair of boots, but it is the reason why we must keep going forward. It's the thing that draws us forward because it is the gospel, as we talked about last week. It is the gospel that is the power of God for the salvation of people just like us, expressed in those four simple statements, four scriptures as we learned, don't leave home without the gospel. Don't leave home without that. Like you put your boots on your feet before you walk out the door. Make sure that the gospel is living, that you're clear on it, that you know what to do with that as we go forward. Because it's the gospel that changes a human heart. No argument will do that. No therapy will do that. No force, no law, no terror will do that. So we have the belt of truth. We have the bulletproof vest of righteousness and we have the boots, which is the gospel message which we must carry all the days of our lives. Fourthly, here we go. In addition to all this, he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I'll say it again. Faith is not a shield, but it works like one. When your spiritual enemy fires arrows and projectiles of accusation and blame and negativity, towards you. It's your faith that extinguishes them. Why do you have negative thoughts coming into your mind? Why is it part of the, the human condition? Why, don't, why aren't we flooded with positive thoughts all the time? 
It's because we have an enemy. They are fiery darts, as the Bible describes them, or arrows of the evil one. But come, let's say you're nothing, you're no good, you're pathetic, you can never make a difference. You are exactly who your dad said you would be. After what you did, you think God loves you. You'll never have a good marriage. You'll always be broke. You'll always be sick. You're always going to have nothing. But faith counters all of those. No, I have faith in Jesus. I trust him. He is who he says he is, and I am who he says I am. I trust that God is good and he is for me, that Jesus is working on behalf of me in all things. You see, faith is this powerful force that no matter what the devil throws at us, no matter what comes at us, we can just stand in that place of going, I believe God. No, no, I believe God. I'm always going to be sick. No, no, I believe God and he is my healer. He is my redeemer. He's the one who gives me second chances. He is the one who works on behalf of me. That is what faith does. Faith extinguishes all the negativity that the devil can throw at us. So we've got to remember that we believe. We've got to remember to stand in faith. A good mate of mine, he's a, he was a missionary for many, many years in South America, and, and he now works for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. But whenever we corresponded by email or by letter, you know how we'd always sign off? Not, not yours faithfully, not yours sincerely, not, hey, I love you, Mike, not any of those things. This is how we always signed off. Shields up, Max. Gosh, I love that. Shields up. You know what he was saying? He's saying, Mike, in this life, in this battle, shields up, brother. Shields up. Keep that faith high. Don't forget who you are in God. Faith is that shield. Never let it down. Here we go. Number five. Paul then says, take the helmet of salvation. Salvation is not a helmet, but it works like one. It protects my mind. It keeps me focused on the fact that I am saved and I am going to heaven. And that frees me from a whole bunch of fear, a whole bunch of uncertainty, a whole bunch of anxiety. I was lost. Yeah, absolutely I was, but now I am found. I am saved. And I'm saved not because I grew up or I studied up or I lifted my game. I'm saved by Jesus who did what I could not do so that I could have what I did not earn. I am saved. It's got nothing to do with my performance. It's to do with him. I remember talking to this woman after a service, not in this church, at another church. Uh, I've been speaking a bit about heaven. And, uh, and with a bit of a sad smile, she saw me and said, hey, that was a great message, Pastor. Hope I make it. I said, what, what do you mean you hope you make it to heaven? She says, well, you can never really be sure, can you? I said, Heck, yes, you can be sure. You need to go and read your Bible. You need to go and check. And, and it was so sad because you could see that, that there was just this low-level anxiety in her living because she just wasn't sure if God loved her, just wasn't sure if she was saved, just wasn't sure if she was going to heaven. Who knows what that did to her confidence in terms of stepping out in obedience to God, stepping out and trying new things. No, no, she's, she's always unsure if, if on the balance of things, if her good outweighs her bad. Man, she has missed the whole point. We have got to keep that salvation firmly on our heads, in our minds, knowing that, yes, we're saved. Yes, we're going to heaven. Yes, we can trust that. Amen? Amen. Number six, here we go. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures. It's it's not a sword. It's it's a Bible, but it is a weapon. And, and this is one of the things that we often miss, like being stuck in the natural world. We don't see the power of Scripture in, in the spiritual realm. 
We don't see what it does, but we do get hints at it. You know, when Jesus was tempted three times by Satan in the wilderness, how did he fight back? He fought back with the word of God. Three different temptations, which went to the very core desires of what it is to be a human. Three temptations, three different times, Jesus says, it is written, and he quotes scripture back at the devil. That's all he did. He resisted the devil. And do you know what happened in the end? The devil fled. That's an interesting word, fled. You you don't flee when you're leaving the dairy. You you flee when someone's chasing you with a big knife. That's what you do. You You don't flee when you're having your best day. You flee when you are in deep trouble and you've got to get out of somewhere really, really fast. We forget that, that the devil wasn't just going, oh, well, all right, Jesus, ha ha, you got me there. Well, I'll, I'll see you next time. No, no, something much more profound happened in that interaction, right? You know, James, in the book of James, it says that when we resist the devil, he, there it is again, he flees from us. He runs. You see, when Jesus came against the devil with the word of God, the devil was so beaten up by that encounter in ways we don't appreciate being in the natural realm, so beaten up, he was terrified, he was defeated, he was wounded in ways we don't get, and he ran. That's the power of the word of God. That's why we need to use the Word of God in our praying and our deliverance. We need to use the Word of God when we're praying for our friends and for our family. Man, it gets the devil scrambling for cover. That's the power of that weapon. We use that against the devil's plans. We use it against his tools of sickness and debt and fear and lies. We use the Word of God. And that leads us lastly to number seven. And we'll get the team up. That'd be great. We're going to wrap up fairly soon. And Paul says, and pray in the Spirit. Okay, Pray in the Spirit. And obviously the most easy way to do that is through the gift of tongues, which is praying in the Spirit, on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. See, praying in tongues is powerful. It is direct contact with HQ. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's directly praying to God. It says that, that Paul says that when we pray, pray in tongues, our spirit prays. It goes directly to the Lord. It's downloading latest information from God when we're praying in the Spirit. It gives us access to, to the, 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 what's going on. God sees everything. God knows everything. He knows how the battle's going. He knows what we should be doing next. He understands the lay of the land. When we pray in that way, when we pray in tongues, and then we obey what we receive from the Lord, man, I tell you, that just so empowers us to fight far more effectively and strategically, to hold our ground, to understand what's required in this next little bit. It is so important. And so, use the checklist. Don't forget, belt, bulletproof vest, boots, shield of faith, helmet, salvation, word of God, and prayer. That is how we take a stand. That is how we take a stand. That is how we take a stand. Jesus is the truth. I, uh, Jesus is the truth. I am right with God. I carry the gospel message. I have faith. I believe no matter what thoughts come my way. I am saved and I know it. I know the word of God and I pray in tongues and I get in contact with God every time I need it. When the enemy comes against us, we stand. We stand. We use the word of God as a weapon and we pray and God gives us the victory and we demolish strongholds and the devil gets no further ahead. Amen. You know, when I return from the Philippines, the elders and I met with this guy, and uh, you know he just he didn't, didn't think there was a problem. He was completely unrepentant, and so until he changed, we did, we, we needed to take some steps. Um, he was banned from the church 
in the end, we had to get a trespass order against him to keep him off church and actually away from our home, uh, which was important for my family. Um, and, and then I needed to get some prayer, which was interesting. I found for most of the time it was good. I, I had faith and I was able to stand against it. But somewhere along in that battle, somewhere, somehow the devil got in. And I just started to have some anxiety. I just stopped sleeping. This, this guy was always on my mind. And so I ended up just contacting a good mate of mine. And I said, bro, I need some prayer. And he came around and laid hands on me and, and prayed for me. And boy, just, just made a difference. Just set me free. It was, it was wonderful. And then, and then, you know, obviously we're praying for this guy. And he ended up getting taken on at a job site by a good mate of mine who was also a very strong Christian. And this guy spent many months trying to help him go forward in his journey. Let's commit to making a stand. When it seems like someone is against you for no reason, stand. Get your armor on. Go through the checklist. Be strong. When you encounter something that feels evil or feels dirty, now this is important, right? Because the word evil in the Greek literally translates as unclean. Take a stand. When it feels like everything is against you, take a stand. Remember Jesus. Be found in him. Everything hangs off him. Be confident and deflect those negative thoughts of the enemy when they come and speak out God's word like a weapon. Remember the gospel. Remind yourself of what you carry. Keep moving forward. Guard your heart. Take a minute or 10 minutes or an hour to press in to God in prayer. You will see the victory. But maybe you're here and you've been through a battle, but like the battle I went through. Or maybe something completely different. But you, you know what it is when you've been through a battle. And maybe, like me, something of the enemy has kind of got in despite your best efforts, got under your skin, has hurt or impacted you in some way. We would love to pray for you today. And I don't know how many of this message is, is really for this morning. It might be a whole bunch. But you know what? If we're in that place, we can deal with that. God has given us what we need to deal with that. And look, I know sometimes we're not sure, right? Like I'm not sure if what's going on with me, if, it, know, if it's spiritual or if it's just natural. or uh, We're just not sure. That's okay. That's totally normal and that's fine. I believe in the process of elimination. So if you're not sure, something's a bit unsettled in your life, maybe you've been through what feels like a bit of an attack, been through something difficult and, and something's just still not settled in you, well, then I say come forward and get prayer. Just come forward and do that. You know what? If it's not spiritual, no harm done. We're just going to pray for you. But if it is spiritual, then there will be freedom and healing that come as a result. I tell you, as I said, when I got this friend of mine to pray for me after all this was over and I still wasn't coming right, he prayed for me. He, he said, look, I, I can see something demonic that's really come against your life. He cast it out, cast it off in Jesus' name. It was a short prayer. But as he finished, literally it was like the weight of the world lifted off me. It was, it was gone in a moment. It was just an astonishing experience. I was free from that whole thing. I was healed. It was amazing. This morning, there's healing for you. There's freedom for you. I believe that. So this morning, as we, we wrap up with a song right now, we're going to just make a few moments available. If you'd like prayer for anything this morning, jump out of your seat. Come forward. We've got a team of people who'd love to stand with you and pray for you. Maybe it's worth a try. Maybe it's worth a process of elimination. But whatever it is, God has healing and freedom for us. He wants to demolish the enemy's attempts at building strongholds in us. 
that we might truly take a stand and see the victory of the Lord in us and through us. Amen. If that's you this morning, come on, let's get to our feet. If you'd like prayer this morning, as we sing this song one more time, come out and run out from your seat and we'd love to pray with you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never taken that step of putting your faith in Him, or maybe you have sometime in the past and you're kind of drifted. Just want to just want to share four things with you this morning. Now, firstly, the Bible says in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. I want to tell you, God loves you, and He wants you to know Him and experience His love and His plan for your life. But number two, the Bible also says that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory or God's standard. Me, you, all of us. And it's that, it's that disobedience to God's will and word. It's that sin. That's what distances us, separates us from knowing God. So we, we can't experience His love or His plan for our life. Thirdly, that's why Jesus came. He went to the cross and paid for our sin. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's through Him and what He's done for you that you can be forgiven, reconciled to God, and you can know God and experience His love and plan for your life. So fourthly, the Bible says in John chapter 1, it says, to all those who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. When you receive Jesus, put your trust in Him, receive Him as your God and your Savior, receive what He did on the cross as for you, God forgives us. He makes us part of His family. And we can begin this journey of knowing God and experiencing Him and knowing His plan for our lives. If that's you this morning, if it's time for you to get right with God, if it's time for you to come home, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer with me right now. Can we just close our eyes and bow our heads for a moment? If that's you, if your heart's beating in your chest, you know God's speaking to you right now. If that's you, and just pray this after me, just in your heart between you and the Lord. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. I admit that I am a sinner and my sin separates me from knowing you. But Jesus, I believe that you are the way and you came for me and you paid for my sin. And God, I receive your forgiveness right now. Thank you for making me yours, for making me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask everyone to keep their eyes closed and heads bowed just for one more moment because if you prayed that prayer this morning, I want to tell you, first of all, the Bible says that when one person makes that decision, there's more celebration in heaven over that decision than over 99 people who have already made it. I mean, that, that is awesome, and that is brave. But I ask you to do one more brave thing, because I would love to, to just pray for all of those people who, who made that decision here this morning. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up, give me a wave, and then pull your hand back down again, just so I can see it. That's all, just so I can include you in this prayer. If that's you, if you prayed this prayer this morning for the first time, or maybe you've prayed it before, but if you prayed that prayer and came back to God this morning, or came to God this morning, right now, would you put your hand up, give me a wave, 
Just say, yeah, Mike, that was for me. God bless you, brother. That is amazing. Anybody else here this morning just prayed that prayer? Say, yeah, Mike, that was me. Would you include me in that prayer? Fantastic. Well, come on, let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, for my brother who prayed that prayer this morning, who took a step of incredible bravery and faith. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you now live in his, heart, in his life, in his heart. I thank you, God, that he is now yours, Lord. And I pray, God, like David prayed, that you will command your angels concerning him to surround and watch over him, God, in his life. God, bless him. Surprise him with your goodness, God. Do things in his life you could never have imagined. We commit him into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Can we give the Lord a, a hand of praise this morning for what he's done? So good.